Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Love to shop and eat? With a dozen food stands and even more local vendors, there's always something fresh, friendly, and fun at the Markets at Hanover. For hours and events, visit marketsathanover.com. Welcome to Why Do Catholics, the podcast from Catholics that talks about what Catholics believe. My name is Rachel Bryson, and I'm your host. Thank you all for listening to this week's special episode of Why Do Catholics. During the month of October, it's Respect Life Month, so we are having some special guests on our program to talk about respect life issues. Father Dwight Schleilein, thank you for joining us today. We're so excited to have you here, and we're talking about a fairly important uh, topic, especially during Respect Life Month, which is um, abortion and, you know, mm-hmm. from a, a pastoral perspective. So mm-hmm. could you, uh, you know, just start off by explaining a little bit about the church's teaching on abortion? Sure. So the church teaches, of course, that uh, abortion is the direct killing of an innocent human being. Um, the church has been consistent on that teaching for 2000 years. You can find it explicitly in the Didache, which is a early document in the Christian tradition, probably written around the time that John's gospel was written. And it specifically says that Christians do not abort their children. Mm. Um, that's where it is explicit in the sacred tradition. And so uh, the church has been consistent on this. Society has been pretty much consistent on that as well until you know, 1973 with Roe versus Wade, a little bit before that in some states. Um, So yeah, the church is into the protection of all life, especially innocent human life. And the unborn are the poorest of the poor and the most innocent Mm -hmm. of everyone else in society. They are totally dependent. And so they are the poorest of the poor. And I think that um, even Pope Francis, one document about the environment even mentions the unborn as a, as a part of the environmental. Abortion is a part of that as well. Uh, that's a little bit more recent, a, a recent spin on the whole thing. But um, Pope John Paul II has said some amazing things about it. Evangelium Vitae, that encyclical, where it's, it's easy to just say, okay, abortion is wrong, but then what does that mean with stem cell research and when is a life a life we believe that life begins at the moment of conception when the sperm and the egg meet and become a living human being that at that point we have an innocent human being a person Um, society will basically not argue so much that it's not a human being but that it's a person so but we uh, we accept the personhood from the first moment of conception because when else would you determine that because then it's just wherever you want it to be so and you have uh, Peter Singer uh, so-called bioethicist out of Princeton saying that you don't have personhood until you can reason so we can he was basically advocating that a, a person could kill their child up until age something after birth so we have that in our society too and um certain states are pushing to have um, the unborn 
are the born killed after birth if if they were intended to be aborted? So we even have that now. We're mm -hmm. getting parts of our country are getting more extreme. I know that was so. um, in, in New York yeah. State. There was that that new bill that pretty mm. much allows abortion up until, like you said, the time of birth. Right. That that child could still be aborted. Right. Which is infanticide at that point. Uh, of course, in some sense, it's infanticide before that point too. But but that's where the it's a slippery slope. You know, if you start saying, well, after uh, within the first trimester, within the second trimester, within the third, and then it's it's a matter of opinion. But the biological fact is, you have a human being at conception, so we have to protect that. Um, and that would apply, the church would basically apply that understanding in all scientific research, embryonic stem cell research, all of that. There, we're going to be looking at the humanity of that individual embryo, even if it's only a one cell organism. Mm -hmm. All of us started as a one cell organism. And I go back to the fact that Jesus himself, God, the God man chose to become a one cell organism in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary at the incarnation. And um, that's how much he became like us. And, you know, if Mary had wanted to abort him, you know, where would we be? So. Right. That's a very good point. Very yeah. Good point. So. Uh, now, Father, I, I'm kind of building off of this. I know you're involved in a lot of uh, post-abortion mm -hmm. ministries for, for women who, you know, they've, they've experienced an abortion and now they need help healing. Mm -hmm. Yes. from that. Uh, can you kind of walk us through the, the programs you're involved in? Sure. Um, I'm primarily involved with um, Rachel's Vineyard. Uh, Rachel's Vineyard is basically a retreat experience uh, in which people who have experienced abortion, they don't have to be a woman per se, um, are able to come onto this retreat weekend and basically walk through the grief process, or at least start it, if nothing else. And my first experience with a Rachel's Vineyard weekend was, I don't know how many years ago, but it's probably within, it's within the last nine years because I've been a priest for nine years. So um, there were 16 uh, post-abortive persons there, and usually they only have 10. Mm -hmm. So it was an extremely emotional weekend, very draining. Um, on that weekend, I really learned what a person, especially a woman who's going through post-abortion syndrome is going through. Um, I kind of was able to enter the horror of it. Um, and most people don't know what that is because it's politically incorrect to look at an abortion as a uh, such a horrific thing. It's always supposed to be a useful thing in the, this, the establishment wants it to look at it as some type of a useful thing, but it's not that. It's, it's destructive. It's very destructive, especially for the woman. There's many who don't come on the weekend because they don't want to or whatever. The retreat format may not be the best for them. That's where you have Project Rachel. Um, it doesn't have to be a retreat experience, but I typically tend to really support the retreat experience because it's powerful. And basically in that retreat weekend, there's a lot of living scripture 
Dr. Teresa Burke is the one who started it. And she uses scriptures, especially gospel passages where Jesus heals somebody or forgives somebody. We walk through those passages with the participants and almost reenact them so that they experience the actual forgiveness and healing that Jesus is offering in that passage. They experience it there. I think one example might be the, the raising of Lazarus, where we put like a sheet over the person and then the priest comes up and says, Lazarus, come out and we take the sheet off and it's dramatic, but it, it's very powerful. It, from an outside standpoint, it might look silly or something, but it's actually pretty powerful and it works pretty well. Um, I think that the healing that happens on that weekend is a starter. I, I, my sense of those who've had abortions is that they, they will never totally get over it, um, not in this life. Because like several of the people on that weekend, their abortion happened 40 years ago, mm. 50 years ago. Um, and they never have dealt with it in those 40 or 50 years, but they were still experiencing the symptoms of post-abortion syndrome though, that whole time. I can think of one person who felt that when, when her own children who survived kind of got older and they, they might reject their mom, like they, 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 they might have a falling out or something. And one woman said to me, and it was so poignant when she said that, she says, I feel like I was being aborted now. In other words, they're, they're getting back at me. God's getting back at me. My child's getting back at me. Uh, I'm getting what I deserve. Um, there's a strong sense with the women who go on the retreat that everything that bad that happens to them after the abortion is a punishment from God. That's what they feel. That's how they experience life. That's what, that's what they think is happening. Um, and of course, you know, we have to work with that pastorally and like, is it as simple as that? And the, the, the weekend brings the forgiveness, the healing, uh, or at least offers it, shows it. Um, you, also, you also have to willingly embrace the healing. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to get around the self-punishing stuff. Like, I hate myself for this. How could you do this? Um, them saying this to themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's a very powerful weekend and I would recommend anyone who's had an abortion or anyone who's helped somebody have an abortion. And if you're dealing with the post-abortion symptoms, like when you're in a supermarket and you see a woman with children, you get insanely jealous. That's an example of something they go through. Uh, those kinds of things, then it's, it's time to go on a Rachel's Vineyard weekend mm -hmm. um, and really work with it, work through it together because it is a forbidden grief. It's a, it's a grief that most, a lot of people will not understand or people who are a lot of times supposed to be supporting this person, they, 
and they may have even helped the woman through the abortion, they don't want to deal with this idea that maybe they did something wrong. And so typically a woman who's had an abortion who was motivated to do that by her relationships with her family or boyfriend or husband, uh, they can't talk to them about it because they're like, you know, we're not talking about that. You did the right thing. I supported you, et cetera, et cetera. So there's no, they, the only place they have, as far as I can tell, the only place they really have to grieve the loss of their unborn baby is a Rachel's Vineyard retreat or Project Rachel, the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Like we, the church, offer this. And who else is doing that? Who else is doing that? I mean, that the pregnancy centers will help you too, probably to some degree, but they'll probably send them to Rachel's Vineyard, really. So Rachel's Vineyard is very powerful. It's where in some ways I think the gospel is being lived out in the fullest because it's, it's controversial. You have to take a stand and it's also extremely healing. There's healing of the, within the midst of the worst civil rights issue of our day which is the rights of the unborn. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I'm glad to be a part of it. Also, I obviously hear confessions of women who've had abortions. Um, it takes typically a, a woman typically has to have a lot of courage to confess it, I've seen. Uh, but once they do, there's a kind of release. There's mm -hmm. a kind of a lifting of the, the burden off of the shoulders when they, when they confess it. That doesn't mean their life is just going to be hunky-dory after that. Mm -hmm. But there's always that, as the church teaches, the temporal punishment due to sin kind of can linger while we're in this life. We have to, we're always being formed in this life. We're going to have suffering in this life uh, to prepare us for total love in the next. Uh, but love involves suffering, so. Now, you, you, you did go into your, your role some about being, you know, the, the priest, yeah, uh, at Rachel's Vineyard and and the confessions, um, hearing confessions and helping walk women through, yes. I guess, the grieving process or start it. Um, do you have any, um, you know, any stories that you can share? Mm -hmm. Was there any time? Was there like one experience at, at one of these retreats that has just stuck with you of, of a woman, you know, maybe coming to terms, finally accepting mm -hmm. and finally realizing that there is forgiveness and yeah. that, you know, God wants to forgive her and, you know, has opened his arms to her and just needs her to walk into them. Yes. Um, right now, one that's coming to mind, several come to mind, but there's one in particular. This person is the one that was thinking that the future relationship with their other children, the breakdown of that relationship was caused by the abortion, um, which is a connection maybe some people would never make, mm -hmm. but she was making that connection. And what was so, and this person was like 40 years, this was not a recent abortion. Um, this person became was healed so much that they became very active in, in the pro-life movement. And those who are, what we say, post-abortive women tend to be the strongest pro-life advocates, tend to be the most convicted, the most courageous, most valiant. And that's what I've seen 
several times happening. Mm -hmm. um, the pro-life cause is going to win because of women who've had abortions. That's why we're going to win. It's, mm -hmm. it's not the bishops, it's not the Pope, it's, it's those who've gone through it and know what it does, you know. Um, think of another story here. One, just a consistent theme is with so many of those who go on these weekends is they didn't want the abortion. Oh. <laughs> like they, it's all, they always say about women's choice and pro-choice. It's usually not about a choice at all. Most of the time, my experience is most of the time they are getting an abortion because their parents want them to or their boyfriend wants them to. And so many times the abortion, the boyfriend will drive them to the clinic or whatever and then say, or, or before that, they'll say, you have to do this or I'll break up with you. Mm -hmm. So they do that, they get the abortion, and then they break up with them anyway. The guy breaks up with her anyway and leaves her high and dry. And I've seen that over and over and over. That's a consistent thing that just is always happening. Um, most women do not want to get abortions, even if they're pro-abortion. Um, they feel they're forced into it. So I would have to say probably 75% of the women I've met on these weekends, I don't think we could say they fully chose this without pressure. That's not my experience. That's not the stories they tell. Um, they wanted their baby even, they also recognized many sometimes that it, there, it was practically very problematic. You know, I'm in high school yet or I don't have any money or things like that. But in many of these cases, especially that first weekend, if they had a supportive family or supportive boyfriend or supportive husband, they wouldn't have gotten the abortion. Okay. And if they would have had somebody there that really was going to care for them, we should never presume that if you're going on a Rachel's Vineyard, that that means you believe in God. That's another thing. Um, I remember one person who was an agnostic at best. Perhaps you could call her an atheist. I think she wouldn't be sure which label to take. Mm -hmm. And she was on the weekend and she was, I think she received a lot of healing. She intrigued me because she was the most vehement about how horrible this was. Like, and you can think of it from an, an agnostic perspective, if you're not sure that there's an afterlife, then abortion is even more tragic because God doesn't have it. God doesn't have your baby. Mm -hmm. Like God hasn't, if, if you, if you don't, if you're an agnostic. And so the, this particular woman, she, in the weekend, there's this thing where you can write letters to like, somebody who was influencing you or helping you get the abortion, maybe forgiving them or whatever. Well, she had a letter for somebody and it was not a pretty letter. It was, it was extremely forceful. It was extremely sharing her heart. Um, I wouldn't say it was unforgiving, but she was so adamant and so vehement about the wrongness of the abortion that I mean, I was so impressed by that. And it was coming from somebody who was not a believer. Mm -hmm. So I, I just, that intrigued me a lot. Um, 
And it, it helped me understand that perspective that what a tragedy this is if there's no God. If, if there's no God, abortion is extremely tragic. She will never be able to go back and make up for all those years of pain and she will never be able to meet her child. And if, if you know, if she's right about the afterlife, if mm -hmm. there's no afterlife. And um, so she, she was inclined, I think, much more to being unforgiving because okay. what's the point of forgiveness mm -hmm. if, you know, and, and she was extremely upset because it was one of these situations where she was basically forced into it by a boyfriend okay. and, you know, very typical kind of situation mm -hmm. there. You know, the, I know that the church offers a lot of spiritual assistance to yes. to women or even to families that have been impacted by an abortion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, have have I'm sure you've offered, you know, those assistances as well. But can you go into some explanation or some detail on just just kind of what the church wants to say to these families and to these women? Uh, to help them find healing. Yes. Um, again, Rachel's Vineyard to me is the starting point. Um, obviously, the Sacrament of Reconciliation is probably the biggest location for healing for the for the woman in particular. Um, and it's it's that coming to terms with it that that's where we're at, and we receive their grief in the sacrament, and we we give them God's forgiveness, you know, that, that comes through us. I think that's, that is the most important part of that. It's when somebody's passionate about it, people tend to respect that. Um, I'm passionate about it. I try not to be fire and brimstone. I, I tend to be a little bit for, for more fire and brimstone, not to the women who've had abortions, but to the complacent Catholic in the pew who doesn't give a crap about it, doesn't mm -hmm. care that's then I get more forceful because they don't realize what they don't realize how important this is. And, the, and quite frankly, I think many of them don't want to. Mm. They refuse to look at the importance of what's going on with this issue and they pass it off as a political issue or they cloud it with all these other agendas that they think are going on there, which, of course, my response to that would be, why don't you talk to a woman who's had an abortion who's come out of this mm -hmm. and regrets it and is dealing with the PTSD? Why don't we talk to them? Why don't we listen to their story? Why don't we help at a, a pregnancy center? Um, so I think pastorally, you know, I gear much of my preaching towards trying to get the community to understand the seriousness of this and what's going on. I have never heard, I've never had negative reaction mm -hmm. to my preaching on this from a woman who's had an abortion or mm -hmm. was, they've never expressed it to me. The only time I would get any, it would be from somebody who didn't have one, who's only looking at it as a political issue. And, and most uh, of them don't even give me any negative feedback because right. they see how passionate I am about mm -hmm. it. And, um, and plus, I'm sharing these experiences. Uh, it's always important for a priest, obviously, in those is to offer the forgiveness of God in, in the preaching as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. And to not just bring fire and brimstone or whatever. Um, but again, I think the worst thing that could happen is 
a priest be dismissive about it or because that's what everyone else is doing. And that's where the church is distinct. Everyone else out in society is extremely dismissive about this, even if they are in theory against abortion, like I'm, you know, I'm personally opposed kind of stuff. Right. Like it's just, they're being dismissive. Mm-hmm. Um, the dismissiveness, as, as I can tell, and you could, I mean, you can ask some of our post-abortive women who are public about it, you can ask them if I'm right about this or wrong about this, but it's, it's, it's that complacency, it's that lukewarmness, it's that insensitivity that's just a shrug of the shoulders. That is the most irritating thing ever. It's the most destructive. Like Jesus says in the book of Revelation, I wish that you were hot or cold, but since you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. It's mm-hmm. that lukewarm, like not really interested in even looking at, at an ultrasound, for example, looking at the silent scream video that Dr. Bernard Nathanson uh, brought out. Like that kind of just, you know, I'm, I care more about something else. I care right. more about this or that. that is the most... From, from the people that I talk to, that seems to be the most, I would say more than irritating. It's, it's horrifying in a sense, mm-hmm. that, that kind of attitude. Uh, when the truth is being put right in your face and you refuse to look at it because you don't like the person who's saying it or you, don't, you think that you might have to think about how you vote and you may have to change that, things like that. Like We have post-sexual revolution and post-hippie movement we have this overemphasis on, or I'd say a distorted emphasis on what love and mercy is. Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of happy-go-lucky and we always have to be positive. And that's not helpful. This is the mystery of our faith. This is what the priesthood and the church, it's all here for is to get you connected, get you connected to up above and get you forgiven. And that's what we offer. Excellent. That's our business. Excellent. Well, thank you, Father, so much. This has been insightful. And, I, and I'm sure a lot of people, uh, you know, listening to our podcast will find it very helpful. Thank you. Yes. All thank right. You. It's been a joy for me. It's, I appreciate you guys' work and uh, we'll keep uh, staying true to Jesus. Well, thank you all for listening to this week's special episode of Why Do Catholics? You can find more episodes online and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.